This episode and all of our South by Southwest coverage is brought to you by Vimeo, the new home for 360 video. Hey everybody, this is John Fusco and you're listening to the No Film School podcast. Brothers Esham and Ian Nelms come from humble beginnings. Neither went to film school. Instead, they learned from going out and shooting a lot of bad stuff. Their first feature, Squirrel Trap, may be the perfect example. Shot for $1,500 in the woods behind their parents' house, their crew consisted of only three people. Their father lit the whole thing with a flashlight and a bounce board. After submitting to a ton of festivals, they were only accepted to about four or five. Things are much different now, to say the least. Their latest film, Small Town Crime, was one of the buzziest films at South by Southwest this year. It's a sterling entry into a resurgent neo-noir genre, which stars John Hawks as an alcoholic ex-cop who finds the body of a young woman and becomes hell-bent on finding the killer. Much of the duo's success can be credited to the fact that they are just that, a duo. Each acts as the yin to the other's yang, with different skill sets and strong suits, but the ability to maintain a synchronicity on set that is much appreciated by the entirety of their crew. With a co-director at your side, you have the ability to delegate different jobs, divide and conquer, and possess an instant soundboard to shoot down or agree with your ideas. I sat down with the directing duo, as well as the recurring cinematographer Johnny Durango and composer Chris Westlake to discuss all the benefits of having a partner in crime on your film shoot. I am here at South by Southwest with a lot of the members of the small town crime team. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. I'm Ian Nelms, one of the writer-directors. And I am Esham Nelms, the uh, co-writer-director. And I'm Johnny Durango, the director of photography. I'm Chris Weslake, the composer. Great. So let's get right into it. Personally, I'm really interested in your guys' relationship as a brother, co-writing, co-director team. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's been asking you these sort of questions. Um... But how did that whole thing start? Did you always know that you wanted to be making films together, even when you were kids? Or we, we both had an affection for film as kids, mm-hmm. um, and we would, you know, our favorite sort of pastime would be go walk down the video store, rent six videos, yeah. buy a box of donuts, and spend the weekend watching movies. Um, so I think that mutual love of film went hand in hand with us working together down the road. Um, as far as how we do it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of our battles are won or lost in the writing process. Mm. So if, you know, one of us is immensely passionate about something, we'll lean that way. If not, we'll go the other way. But for the, for 99 out of a hundred, it's, we both have to love what's going on Mm -hmm. or we will not move on. And I guess you would say to get to that, it would be one of us writes, say 10 or 15 pages, three pages, whatever it may be. The other one looks at it, critiques it, does his pass on it. And then we both sit down and look at it together on the thir- sort of third pass of whatever pages we have and hack it out and make sure we're both happy with it. So interesting. You guys aren't really writing at the same time. You take sort of sections that you'll take control of. It, it goes off and on. I mean, there's times where, um, you know, one of us will go home and write a few pages and then we'll come back and be like, Oh, look what I did. Or, and then we'll talk it out or they don't take it. And well, let me have a, a couple hours with this or let me have a day with this. And then sometimes, you know, he'll write a couple pages, I'll write a couple pages. And then sometimes we luck out and get, you know, six to eight hours to actually sit together and mm. hack through some stuff. So yeah. it's, it's all over the place really. Interesting. <laughs> there, there is no set way of doing it, but I do find that it's interesting that we almost write how we edit. So we may take passes separately on the material, but we always come back together and do the polish. Um, so most of the time we will brainstorm together for the writing process and we'll go off and we'll write. I'd say scenes. that's the biggest thing is that we'll sit and talk. No, none of, neither of us will go off and just start writing haphazardly, you know, thinking that, you know, we're going to run with it. Um, 
maybe, maybe once in a blue moon, but mainly we'll sit for a couple hours and just talk and get excited about something. And then one of us will go off and start writing it. And then it was, and then maybe the other one's working on some other scene that we thought would be cool. And then we just start kind of building it out. Hmm. So then how did you uh, get to the point where you were able to make your first feature, um, as a writing directing team? I say we just jumped right off a cliff yeah. uh, and made it because we, we first, we, we came out to LA in 2002 and it was an interesting time in the business because, uh, digital cameras were just coming on the market like a year or two later. Like I think we were one of the first guys to go shoot a feature film with a digital camera. Well, a DVX 100, a yeah. prosumer camera. Yeah. Digital cameras okay. had been on the market for a while. Yeah, but I mean, a dig- like a digital prosumer, like a the DVX 100 from Panasonic, yeah. which was kind of the game-changing camera uh, for digital filmmaking, even though it was still analog. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we, we went and bought one of those with a buddy of ours, and we, we went and marched out and shot a feature film in 2003, and I think got it ready by 2004. But it was, uh, you know, it was a $1,500 movie, and we just went out and shot a feature film for 1500 bucks in the woods behind our parents' house. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> we went fearless into the woods. <laughs> so what, uh, what was that process like as far as uh, once the film was completed, uh, did you just enter it into festivals, or what was, how did yeah, you? Yeah, that's, I mean, we, we edited it on our iMac, we... We, went, we submitted to a ton of film festivals and I think we got into four or five um, showed up and we didn't win any awards with yeah. that movie it was called Squirrel Trap um, and it was a comedic thriller uh, but it was it was it was uh, I'd say we did a pretty good job for 1500 bucks but I mean you know it was our first thing coming out and I think that it was just you know Probably our writing wasn't quite as sharp as it should have should have been. I mean, that was our that was our that was our first year of film school. I mean, we didn't go to film school. This was us learning how to make movies. So we grabbed a bunch of our friends. Speaking of no no film school, (laughs) exactly. Uh, but it'd be careful because it's a drug. I remember we showed it at, a, at the Palm Beach International Film Festival. And we had that like was the big breakthrough. I mean, that, I would say that was the big breakthrough. Is that at the time, in 2004, it was a top 20 film festival in the country. And we had submitted to you know a bunch of places and got a no, 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 no. And then for some reason, I have no idea. I actually do have an idea. That it was a woman. pretty good story. <laughs> uh, now well, that I'm thinking about it. What's the story, if you don't? Uh, so you submitted all these film festivals. And the first thing we learned was, oh... Uh, you know, don't, don't get too upset when you don't get into 500 film festivals. This is what everybody tells you because you don't know who's watching your film. You know, it could be anybody. It could be this, you know, 90 year old woman. It could be a, you know, 16 year old kid that is watching your stuff and being like, I don't understand this. So we're like, okay, whatever. But I mean, you're imagining that it's like some 30 to 40 year old person who's really in, in tune with the business and really trying to, you know, trying to get the newest, best filmmaking and films of the day. And so we go to this, we get into to Palm Beach International Film Festival, which is the top 20 at the time, and we were so pumped and we were so excited, we couldn't believe it. We go down there, it's an amazing experience. The festival was incredible. Um, and it was just amazing to have an audience in a theater watch your movie and like react and laugh. And uh, it was amazing. But then we ran into this, this like 85-year-old woman comes out and she's a volunteer. <clears throat> and she's like, oh, are you? And we were just trying to get set up. And she's like, oh, are you the Squirrel Trap Boys? And we were like, we are. And we're like, how are you, you know, uh, old woman? You know? <laughs> we're like, oh, it was wonderful to, that you're volunteering here. And she's just like, oh, yes, I loved your movie. It's the whole reason it's in the festival. And we're like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> this 85-year-old woman, like, you know, somehow grabbed onto some yeah. aspect of that film and said, this, this needs one. to be in the festival, <laughs> by God. The 
kids will love this. Yeah, the children. This is for the kids. It must have been because it was, uh, you know, about junior high students out on a, uh, like out in the woods on a four day weekend trying to uh, get in touch with nature to write a paper about Thoreau. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then you guys didn't go to film school. Uh, what did you do to give yourself an education? I mean, first of all, you go out and you just make a lot of bad stuff and yeah. then you get a little bit better at it every time. But, um, we, we did have the gift that our dad is a photographer okay. and, uh, and he would force us to work on weddings and do portraits and ever since, we were, ever since we were about 10 years old. Huh. So yeah. We had this weird, I would, I'd say more for Esham than me, but I as well had like, we had, a, we had an idea of like what composition was, you know what I mean? Just because we were around it so much. Um, and our dad had been doing it for 20 some odd years. So I, I would say the photography elements of it as in framing up shots and whatnot, we were, we were okay at, we understood that it needed to at least, you know, kind of look aesthetically pleasing. Um, of course, all that changed once we met Johnny. DeRoy. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Okay. But, but uh, we went out and we lit it ourselves. I mean, I remember our dad lighting our first movie. It was like, you know, Ian and I and our dad doing all the crew. We, one of us would boom. We would do, yeah, you know, a, wield the DVX and dad a, would use the bounce cards. And that's, then, a good, that, that's a good lesson is that it was a three-man crew. Yeah. We shot a feature film for $1,500 with a three-man crew and five actors. How um, many days? Uh, seven out in the woods. Okay. Whereas you can realize we were, you know, 45 minutes away from plugging the batteries in yeah. anywhere to get a charge. <laughs> so we went on and bought like 15 batteries so that we could make it through a day. Um, and so we would have to drive back and forth at night and charge the batteries. And I mean, we were getting like two hours of sleep. Luckily, it was only seven days. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there were this can- there's canyon drops that are, you know, two or 300 feet. And I remember driving, falling asleep, drifting up. Oh, shit. <laughs> like, like you really got to keep on your, you know, <laughs> but we, our parents have uh, horses and we literally bat, we literally packed the equipment into yeah. the site where wow. we shot, yeah. wow. which took about an hour to pack in and then we'd unpack and all the, you know, everyone would go swimming. Because the, 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 a great story is like the uh, park ranger popped out of the woods one day and thought we were shooting adult films <laughs> and he was really well, first, disappointed. Well, first he was peeking through the brush <laughs> trying to catch a little look. And then he, as he realized it was a bunch of idiots out there trying to make a film, he was like, what the hell is going on in here? You guys got to get the hell out of here. Yeah. Um, but we were actually like five feet from the, from the park line. And he was like, well, if you step five feet over to the left, actually, I can let you stay. So, huh. And we were in the same river. <laughs> we stepped so yeah, five did, feet over the left. Did you guys like try and get any permits for this or was this like a... Just renegade itself. Just hell. renegade itself. I mean, cool. it's 1500 bucks. You know, we were lucky that we were eating for seven days. Yeah. Our mom catered the entire show. It was, it was a very homegrown effort. Our dad lit the whole thing with a flashlight and a bounce card. Wow. That's it. <laughs> Humble beginnings. Yeah. I mean, and it got into the film festival. So yeah, I mean, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. Well, then how did everything change once you met... Johnny. Johnny. I mean, I remember showing Johnny our first few films and he was well, like, first start out where you met Johnny. Oh God, that's pretty good. Johnny, that's, that's pretty good. Sorry. Um, so Ash and I met in probably what, 2003, 2004. Uh, I had been working with another DP on a project. We were shooting something and he couldn't cover a project the following week. And that project was an incredible building safety video, downtown Los Angeles. <laughs> And so I come on to shoot this building safety video, which Ash can probably go into more detail about, but he was actually one of my two grips on the job. So for a while I was Ash's boss. And then, you know, as budgets went up, it flip flopped. (laughs) (laughs) I remember like having like the full blown smoke machine and like waving orange gels in front of lights unless these like people walk down the halls to simulate the fire. I do. We'd put an orange gel at the bottom or an orange 
shell at the top to be the fire. And then we put the blue at the bottom so people knew where to go to. And then we would like tilt the camera. Yeah, it was, it was but pretty But these bad. are videos <laughs> where you would like, I mean, I saw a couple of bits of them. It's like, when in case of a fire, head left out of the exit. Yeah, okay. That's exactly right. They're, they're great. Don't climb a ladder and try to whatever. You know, it's like all these ridiculous hobbies. And then I would go get Johnny coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and, and now I get Ash coffee. <laughs> yeah. Who are these videos produced for even? They're just like... So... so <laughs> I mean, it produced for the video as orientation for the workers that, that come right. to, the, to the... Or to the at least we think so, because Greg might have been just making those for himself, yeah. now, now that I know Greg better. <laughs> we, had a, we had a dear, who became a dear friend, Greg McDonald, and he was produced those for the buildings, uh, and they would just hire him run, to get it done. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, then, how did that uh, shift into legit filmmaking. Well, I mean, clearly he saw my work on the building safety videos. So I was like, I want to work with yeah. that guy. I remember showing Johnny, uh, like our, our third or fourth movie. Uh, it no, was, we, a, showed we, him, we showed him Night of the Dog. And then Night of the Dog. Yeah. And Johnny goes, you know what? The story, you guys are getting better. The only thing wrong with these is you need me to shoot them. <laughs> I do remember saying that. And at the time I had had a little bit of success. I had by some miracle, got my first 35 feature when I was 23. I was supposed to come on and shoot like 20% of the movie because it was a movie that was already in the can, mm -hmm. but it had been a mess. And I came on and started shooting and the director and the producers were like, wow, this is so much better because they had brought in some other actors and it looked better. So we ended up reshooting 85% of the movie. Wow. So, and that movie ended up going to Tribeca which got me a pilot with Fox the following year for a one hour police drama called Hollywood Vice. Okay. And so that's sort of where I was at. So I probably looked appealing at the time. <laughs> and uh, yeah. You're still very appealing, Jeff. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> it's mainly the hair, though. <laughs> How many films have you guys made together, uh, all in all? This is our fifth project, third feature. Yeah, so third wow. feature, and then we yeah. also shot two short films together. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. How so, does that collaboration work now? It's a lot of yelling. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've always had a great working relationship. Um, Johnny's a really talented guy, and we work really well together. So it's been painless. It's why we continue to do we it. We keep calling him the third Nelms brother because I think he works, it, it ends up working similarly as Ash and I work, you know, where it's like he has ideas, we have some things we're trying to do, and then we all just make sure we're all happy at the end of the day. Johnny, honestly, Johnny goes out, he lights the hell out of it, he sets up his shot, and then we sit there and look at Ash's boards and say, okay, let's, let's, you know, let's all make ourselves happy with this, and then the actors come in and we gotta shift a little bit, but I mean, that's usually how and, it works. Yeah, it's cool because a lot of times with directors, you're sort of shifting to sort of fit the mold with them, and I think these guys, we, we have a very similar background and upbringing and work ethic and thing, and I think that our sensibilities are very similar, and it makes it very simple. This this movie, more than any of the other, there's such a shorthand that we didn't we didn't talk about a whole lot of stuff on set. We would just sort of look at frame together and go, yeah, cool. Which, I, which I think is interesting because we shot a couple of sort of you know dramatic comedies before that. And then I know that our big concern as directors was, okay, we're going to move into this crime thriller that we're super passionate about, that Johnny, I know, was super passionate mm -hmm. about. And that's one of the reasons we went out and shot a short, uh, just to make sure we had this look down that we were all talking about. We would all talk about it, and we were like, okay, I think we're all on the same page, but maybe we should do something to make sure we're all on the same page. Sure. And then Johnny and uh, brought out a, a gaffer buddy of his, uh, Matthew Gonzalez, who's incredible, out of Chicago. And I mean... Those two are incredible working together, Johnny and Matt. Um, just not only entertainingly wise, but just so skilled. Both of them are so skilled together. <clears throat> but shot the short, and it couldn't have come out better. And we were all just, we were so excited by the look that they put together. It was just exciting. I mean, and, and to continue on this, not only is Johnny a really talented DP, but he's also a great human being. 
And I, and I, and I, and I, you can't look, there's a lot of really talented people that you don't, that I, <clears throat> that aren't the most enjoyable to work with. Right. And it's, it really is a gift to have someone who's a nice human that I enjoy being around and that does some incredible well, even, work. And even when we're upset at each other, at, as you do, as it gets stressed or as the heat's on and we're like, Johnny, can you set this shot up that you said it's probably going to take an hour and a half up in 20 minutes? <laughs> and he says, fuck, I'll try to do my best. And he gets it up in 18 minutes, which is fucking with a I'll short... You, that has happened quite a few times. Incredibly shorthanded, yeah. incredibly shorthanded, and it looks fucking beautiful. Um, like, when those types of intense moments like happen, it's just, you got to have somebody that, you know, not only is after the same goals as you, but that is a pleasant, understanding human being. Because I mean, Johnny knows one of the gun. Johnny doesn't want to miss the shot, but Johnny also doesn't want to put put something up that's going to damage his career or damage the film. So there's like this, it's a lot of balancing and and trying to figure out what we're all, we kept saying 92% on the same. Yeah, it's a a camaraderie too. It's a level of caring. I've been through it with you guys, you know, four other times and it's like, I'm not going to let you guys down because we all want to make the best movie possible and you guys are killing it on your end. So I feel like I got to keep it up at the same level. So do what we got to do to get it done. Yeah. It's like we're a band on tour. Every movie we go do. Yeah. Great example. Uh, and, and, and honestly, like our bond grows closer. And when we get people that we like, we latch onto them. We don't let them go. So, yeah. and Chris Lace Lake is part of that. Our composer speaking really enjoyed it. music. Yeah. I'm the new guy. I'm the new bass player. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're definitely going to get to sort of how the music added a whole extra layer to the film as far as like what your guys vision uh, amounted to. So let's start talking about small town crime a little bit in the sense, like where did this idea first come from? Yeah. I mean, we, Ian and I have, when we first landed wrote, we have a love for crime thrillers. Um, and we wrote a couple scripts. Mm-hmm. We went around town and people told us, well, when you guys are Tarantino, you get to make these until then, you know, go out and, and earn your directing chops and figure out how to do that. So we wrote, they said, write some spec scripts and sell them. So we shot, um, because we don't listen, we shot a couple of Renegade Indies. Then we wrote some thrillers. They said, no way. Then we started, then we wrote for six years. Uh, we wrote a bunch of material. We got on the, all the water bottle tours and got all the representation that everybody hopes to get in town and we couldn't move a damn thing. Yeah. It was really frustrating. So then we went out and we said, we need to make a movie that no one can stop us from making. So we wrote Lost on Purpose personal film that we knew we could pull off in our hometown. It was, it was a, a drama, a love letter to our hometown. And we went out and we grabbed Johnny and a bunch of really talented people. And we made that movie. Um, that movie got us to the, our next film, Waffle Street, mm-hmm. which was another you know, ensemble comedic drama. And then from that movie, we finally had done a picture of scale that was able to get investors and, and folks interested that would allow us to now pitch this edgier crime noir material that we'd been writing. Because the, the two things you're going to hear when you write your script and you go out, and even if the budget's, you know, um, you know, millions of, like, it's probably millions of dollars. The first thing you're going to say is do something for a couple hundred thousand or a hundred thousand or even 50,000, which a lot of people do, <clears throat> is that the first thing they're going to say is, okay, I don't, I don't see, you've got a great script. Let's say you get to that point where we have a great script, and then they say, okay, I don't believe you can direct this because I haven't seen you direct anything of this scale before. And the other thing you're fighting is, okay, I haven't seen you direct anything with a star before because there are a lot of different dynamics that happen when you get on a set with a star. You may have freaking slayed it <clears throat> with your buddy out of local theater number nine, and he was fantastic in the, in the film, but there are there are. Diplomacy problems when you get on the set and you've got a star that needs this or needs that, and you've got a <clears throat> and has a different vision or has this, has wants to see the scene differently. 
and I now having worked with with some some actors of of note or recognizable faces, like I mean, there are some things where they're like, no, I think it should go this way. And I mean, a lot of times, Esh and I trust them and roll that way uh, because that's what they're that's what they're there to do. But uh, it can get it can get it can get crazy. Yeah. Um, so I, I can understand why. why it's definitely say. another level of collaboration. <clears throat> and so once, and then you're going to run into the scale problem. So Ian and I retroactively like built a tier of movies that we wanted to do. Mm. And we worked our way up it. And so now we're, we're at we're small at the time. bottom of the thriller pile right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We've got two or three more that we're hoping to get up to. Awesome. Um, well, then how did uh, you get the composer involved in this sort of uh, crime thriller? The pads were involved. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this has like been a real treat for us. While, while we, Ian and I love music and we've had amazing musical contributions on our last uh, films. But Chris, uh, having, and being introduced to Chris and having his collaboration on this has been immensely valuable. You know, I think it was, uh, they invited me over to a screening at their place and their editing room is set up in their living room. So they don't have a living room. They just have their edit bay. And I was like, okay, I like this. I like, I like where this is going. Um, and, uh, they showed me the movie and, and the, uh, I, I hope I'm not ruining anything, but the opening shot is a garage door opening and on the back wall is a Powell Peralta poster with a bunch of mid eighties skate decks hanging on the wall. And I was uh, growing up in San Diego kind of, uh, you know, um, I don't look at now, but you know, with the chain, used to have the chain wallet and junior high and all that, all that business. Um, and, uh, uh, so I was like, I know exactly who this guy is. This guy was like, you know, he like could have gone to my high school, like, you know, 10 years before me. And, um, and that was really sort of my hook into the character. Um, and so I'm so grateful for filmmakers when they put details like that. Um, especially they're telling you from the very beginning who this person, they're starting to craft who this person is. And, and as a composer, you just really, for me, I really relish that because they're, they're, they're building worlds, they're building, you know, and, and that's kind of part of the job of music as well. So I kind of felt like a lot of my work was already done in an, or, or in the sense that like, um, you know, what is the, what is the music supposed to do? What do you, you know, what's the world that you're building, you know, and who are these people? Um, and, and writing music for characters, I think is the most satisfying part of the job, you know, cause everybody can kind of do some, and we, we did do a couple action sequences actually, yes, yeah. but, but, uh, um, the fun part is, is getting to try and like wiggle in there and figure out who these people are. When we sat down with after screening the movie with Chris, Chris got the film. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was like, I fucking love this movie. Yeah. was already spitballing ideas, was already like, we had a temp track in there. It was already like this one, this is a good idea here. This is what needs to happen here. Hearing that sort of like laser focused idea mill and like, oh, these are he absolutely sees the problems like where, where we need to overcome and was ready to rock and roll. So it was a no brainer. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I, and he's a little bit modest. He keeps saying that it was all there and I just kind of laid in a, a music track beneath it. But I mean, it was, it was a lot of excited ramblings from us as we're like what we're trying to tell him we want or what we think or what we, but I mean, it's, it's, it's his talent that's, that's in that movie. And honestly, like he brought a ton to it. You know, as we're like running around saying, oh, it's like this and kind of like that. And what if you did this? And what if you did that? And I don't know anything about making music. I was never in a band. I can't play an instrument. Um, I like music, but I can't I can't tell you anything about it in a technical but, but that way. was the thing that I found so exciting about it, because you're not coming to me with some score that's already been written saying like, OK, make it like that. Yeah. You know, and so as a composer, you get to do something new. And the fact that they're they couldn't find temp 
to for some of these scenes and we haven't been able to find the right tone and for me that put, just puts a smile on my face cool. you know um because i'm like oh you know like yeah it's like roll up your sleeves and let's get to work and try and throw some things up and see what happens yeah. and so um yeah so for me i was i was really excited and also there's little performance details where like you know the hardest thing is to know where to start and stop the music and even my first time through the movie i was like oh music's got to be here you know like we got and it's just because of like you know like uh, you know, like Cliff Collins' performance in this movie is amazing, and uh, as are all of the characters, and John's amazing, and he's got these little eye twinkle things that happen, these yeah. little sort of micro-expressions, yeah. and, and and what's so great is, like, for me, it's like I see those things, or or when, when Cliff sits back in the chair at and, and one point in the movie and, like, says a line, and for me, it's, like, just music there, you know? And so that's why I, I think I felt... Um, so, you know, like kind of grateful for all the, uh, the collaborators before me um, is because they help inform me and tell me what the movie is and all that kind of stuff. So and if I can segue off what he just said, where he said uh, we couldn't find temp score. That was one of the most frustrating things about trying to do pre-screenings with it and trying to test if we were in the right place with it. <clears throat> and I think I mean, and we had some fantastic composers come in and want and trying to t we we're like okay we had like a scene or two picked out they were like okay hey can you crack this scene or you know take a shot at it we'd love to see what you know just something simple something um to give us a vibe of what you're thinking for the film and man i'll be damned if chris wasn't the only one that like really really struck it and we were That's like amazing. okay so i mean it's it's funny that he's like well you know i got to come in and kind of do my thing which is really fun and that made it funner for me like I don't know if the other 15 guys, uh, you know, are saying the same thing at this point because it's like they're like, well, I don't know what the fuck they wanted. They didn't really have a, you know, any clear idea of what they were saying. They don't speak music, you know. So I think they didn't have a clear temp, you know. They knew that their temp wasn't perfect. Uh, I had to come up with something from scratch and how am I supposed to read their minds? Whereas he just got it and he was just in sync with us and he just fucking nailed it, man. Life happens in 360 degrees. And now, on Vimeo.com, so do your videos. Now you can upload, watch, and even sell your 360 videos on Vimeo. Vimeo 360 means immersive eye candy, immersive adventures, and immersive storytelling from the world's best filmmakers. Plus, Vimeo has tons of helpful resources for all experience levels. You can learn how to shoot, how to edit, and even get roundups of the best 360 video gear. Join the new home for 360 video at Vimeo.com 360. Well then, so this all sort of lends to this genre building that you guys did because the score really put me in the mindset of like a 19 sort of like seventies or eight, like updated of course, but 1970s or eighties sort of like detective, uh, TV, like yeah. daytime show or something, you know? Um, and there's been a lot of that type of, uh, I, 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 there's some of my favorite movies recently have all had this sort of like neo Western noir vibe to them. Uh, can you guys like speak about that resurgence at all? Like, why do you think that's such an attractive thing for directors to be doing these days? It's interesting for us because Ian and I, what attracts us to us is the noir element, which is the definition of noir, which is ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Yeah, totally. And I think the climate that we're in right now, globally as a nation. Mm -hmm. I mean, we really were seeing a lot of like common Unrest. people doing yeah. amazing things like starting movements, uh, you know, whether, whatever their passion is, they're, they're going in that direction. And I think that's just the zeitgeist of our generation right now. We need a hero. So that's, <laughs> why, that's why I think the resurgence is happening. Yeah. So also in that vein, I was, uh, I attended a panel uh, where Jeremy Saulnier was speaking about writing a thriller and writing a horror. He basically writes his characters into traps 
and keeps like giving them more and more traps until like they literally can't escape the situation. They have to die. Can you guys like sort of speak about your writing style as far as like crafting a thriller? I mean, for us, we always try to think of, okay, here's, here's what, here's what needs to happen, you know, to next to progress the story. But we've seen that uh, this, you know, a hundred times before, mm-hmm. how do we twist it? Mm-hmm. How do we make it interesting? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we always strive for in our, in our scenes and our characters. And for us, it's like, okay, if we're going to have a scene, it can't just be exposition. It has to be interesting. Mm-hmm. It had you like for us, there's the, the ensemble, every character is important in the ensemble. There's no character left behind. Right. So we want to build out everyone. We want every single character to feel fully fleshed out that this is a living, breathing person. They're not just passing you information. Yeah, they're part of the world. You're not just like coming in and, you're not just coming in on somebody that's just there to give you like a, a key to a door, you know, and then yeah. all of a sudden you open the door and there we've got a plot, a plot point. So like we, you know, that person with the key will have a elaborate way that he gets the key to them and be incorporated into our sub, sub themes, you know. And, and it's important with what John does in the movie, which is you want to go along with that journey with John. Yeah. You know, he's doing he's not the most he's doing, you know nefarious things at times but you feel like his moral compass is aligned in the right direction so you'll go along with the ride so for us that motivation is really important and like I said the the value of you know treating every person in the ensemble is paramount importance and I think like the actors really appreciate that too you know as far as having fully fleshed out characters and like clear motives and uh, whatnot. and you know one of the things that struck me in the Q&A was like one of I forget which actor but they said that working with you two was uh, was great because each one of you were like yin and yang um, in the sense that you each bring uh, what's necessary in your own right. I think you, you together, you make a whole. Yeah. You know, I, as, ev- like with that. every movie, with every, you know, we become more dysfunctionally codependent on one another. And, uh, and we, it's we both have different skill sets mm-hmm. and we've learned to really thrive that way. Okay. This is where I pass you the baton. Okay. Pass it back to me. Now, when we, when it comes up to like working with actors on stage or on the, on the set, we're very synced up in what we want. Yeah. Uh, and so Ian can go give an adjustment, a no, or have a conversation. I can do the same. Or if for some reason we're not synced up at the moment, or one of us thinks that uh, we want to try something different, we'll quickly go, oh, what do you think about this? And we go, okay, great. And we'll head out. Yeah. And it, I, I can't tell you how many times I'll turn to Ian. I'm like, was that good for you? He's like, it was amazing. I'm like, moving on. Like, it's <laughs> an instant sounding board. It's yeah. like, that's what we have. Yeah. Good. And I think, honestly, like, that's why you're seeing the sort of duo director surge right now. Yeah. Because it, you, can, you can delegate the jobs. There's now two of you to divide and conquer. Uh, I mean, I can't tell you. I mean, as we would split, and you know, I run off with one camera, and Ian run do handle the other one. Um, it just it makes it you know, especially when you're doing the films where it's really demanding, and you need to go be in a lot of places at one time. So mm-hmm. we find we've we've figured out how to exploit it and use it for our advantage. Yeah, I think I think it was uh, I hadn't heard it quite put into words because we're like, oh, I'm he's I'm this half, and I do that half. But it was uh, it was interesting that I, like we we got into Tim Ferriss like within like the last two years and a lot of his stuff about this kind of optimizing uh, your performance. Um, and he said something interesting where he was like, you know, if you're like a really good, uh, like let's say you're in a business and you're great at marketing, but you aren't very good at like uh, copywriting. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, you hire a copywriter to do that job. Well, that's probably what you should do because you're not a great copywriter. Get hire someone that's great at copywriting. You shouldn't like spend all of your time trying to learn how to write great copy because you should just be working on your amazing skill at being a marketer. So there should be two of you. And that's kind of how we work. Like he's really good at some things. I'm really good at some things and we've you know continually 
been leaning on each other and saying, you, you do what you're really good at. I'm going to do what I'm really good at. And hopefully we can make it better this time. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, we both like push each other to be better at the other skill sets that we're, that we, that we may be lacking in or we need improvement in, <clears throat> which true. is everything. We are getting constantly. better at the other things, but I think it's mainly just because, you know, working with people like Chris and like Johnny and, yeah. and the other amazingly talented people we worked with on this film, uh, you just start learning things as you're like, Oh, that's how that works. Or, yeah. Oh, that's how that gets better. Oh, that's where that light is placed to get a this or a that effect, you know? And Ian and I, we have a voracious appetite for, for yeah, everything. We're like we like, you know, it's like, okay, like it, it, it lets us do a lot more jobs. Mm-hmm. So it lets us, it lets us write, it lets us direct, it lets us edit. Like the, the duo, it, it enables us to have a lot of influence on the movie. Mm-hmm. It's it's really cool though because through three movies working with you guys, I've never once seen you guys divided on set. So if you've ever disagreed on something, you guys must have walked away or something because it's it's one voice all the way through, and that's really cool for somebody like me who has to work hand in hand with these guys and the actors to never see the directors question each other or even look like they didn't have the exact same idea. Yeah, I mean, I think that I've heard uh, from from actors like that the most important thing is that you have a confident director. So. If you have two directors that are both confident, <laughs> that's a pretty good set right there. You walk up to them and you're like, ah, oh, we want it like this. Like, you sure? The other one comes up. Yes, we're sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay, two against one. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I guess that's true. You always win in a debate. Yeah. You guys got power in numbers. That's awesome. Well, no, it's a, it's a really, this was a really fun part of the process for me too, because like at the end, it actually is better to have two directors than one sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's a, like trying to show something, trying to like, you know, be like, or, you know, Johnny, I'd love to find out. Like, I, I mean, I, I, I got questions for you guys. Like, <laughs> you know, cause I'm in like, so I'm like sort of siloed off in the post process. And so you guys went out and had like this amazing, you know, sort of, uh, um, adventure in, in Utah, at least that's what the way it is in my head. And, um, you know, um, but for, yeah, for, for us, what was really great about it is like, you know, well, we sort of settled into this kind of like, almost like this pattern that would sort of repeat itself where like. Esh was the specifics uh, was the specifics guy. So if it wasn't quite right in the right spot or nothing, you know, or if like a beat was off there. for some weird reason, he'd yeah, sit there yeah, until he, he sit felt there like until we get the right beat and and uh, and I'll, you know, I'll be damned if the score didn't get better for those notes, which is like such like it's like oh that actually is better. That's really great. Um, <laughs> I was then, shocked it was better too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then uh, Ian was like sort of the general field guy. So there were actually a couple times where like you know Esham and I were, were kind of happy with something. And then Ian was like, I don't know if this is the right feel. And I'd just be like, ooh, we got to do this one again. You know, <laughs> it's kind of like that old, well, I don't know what that colloquialism is, but the sort of like a three is a quorum or whatever. I don't know what the first part of it is. But it's it's that kind of thing when you get three people together. Once you all three agree on something, it's like, oh, now you know it's right. Mm-hmm. And there's this sort of sense of confidence that comes from that. And so I really, I don't know. So tell me about that, man. What was it? Like with those guys? Is it like, I'd say it's, it's very similar. It, it's, yeah, very it's, similar. it's very similar to, to what I said. I mean, it's, they have an idea. Idea. They come to me with the idea. We talk about it, mm-hmm. and again, it's a unified voice. There's they very give you a third it, the time you need. Uh, well, yeah, that's that's a 100 percent truth. Um, <laughs> but it gets done, and it gets done well. Yeah. Uh, it's just they know what they're doing, which is the coolest thing ever. You know, I've yeah. done this for 15 years, and you don't always get that. You know, totally. especially. I mean, the worst part is when you get someone who thinks they know what they're doing. Mm. And that's just a disaster. <laughs> These guys are super humble and some of the most talented filmmakers I've ever had the pleasure of working with. Likewise. But I mean, we, we had, had some pretty ambitious material on this for this show. I mean, we had the car chases and shootouts, shootouts and all this, you know, pretty ambitious stuff. And uh, Giant sets Johnny, with no pre-existing lighting. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we put Johnny out in the middle of a train yard with no pre-existing lighting. and uh, Shot it in the middle of night. Yeah, and had like half the shoot nights. Uh, it was it was ambitious material, and, and Johnny thrived in it. 
It was fun, guys. Six hundred and fifty feet, no light. Had a I, will, I would like to talk about. I think I skipped something on. We were working on a, a project with uh, Octavia Spencer, who we had a great, the great fortune of knowing for a few years, and we, we had just finished Waffle Street, and she was like, "Oh, and we just finished a trailer for it." We're like, "Hey, watch this Waffle Street trailer." So she watched it and was like, "Oh, this is pretty good." And she's like, "What do you guys want to do next?" We're like, "Well, we want to do this crime thriller that we've written." And, and it just this. so happens that she's a massive crime thriller fan. Oh, really? So. <laughs> We, I and I, I, I guess I knew that thinking back at, at some of her comments on some of you know the films she loved uh, when we talk at certain times about film, but I, it didn't strike me. I, we didn't go to her thinking, oh, she's gonna love this crime yeah. thriller. I know she loves crime thriller, but then as soon as she read it, she's like, oh shit, yo, you know I love those motherfucking crime thrillers. And we're like, oh shit, she does, and that's right. Oh, this is great. So um, she took it home and she read it and she was like, can I play a cop in this? We're like. We're gonna do better than that. So uh, we 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 and then she she came on board to play uh, Kelly, and she said, "Who do you guys want for the lead?" You know, and we were like, "I'm gonna be, I want to EP this, I want to help this get going." And we said, "Well, we, we all Octavia loved John Hawks, we love John Hawks, yeah. and we're like, we all land on John Hawks." She's like, "All right, I'm gonna approach him." So she's like, "I." She takes the baton and she's like, "I'm gonna reach out to John Hawks for you." She comes back. She goes, "I wrote him a letter." I'm like, "What'd you say?" She said, "We've done two movies together. We've never had a scene together. Let's remedy that." All I'm going to say is we play brother and sister. Yeah. Dropped the script and walked off. And, and she literally did write, write him a letter because John does not have email or he's not, he's off the grid. Yeah. I mean, and John is the an carrier am- pigeon went over and <laughs> dropped it in his house. He's an amazing human. Uh, and he hate, he's just doesn't enjoy technology, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's a okay. Cause we, I remember reading my Kindle. He goes, Oh, this is me. Cause he has like flip phones and like, he's kind of retro. He's like, Oh, yeah. this is me. This is yeah. going to be great. So, yeah, it was awesome. Cool. Well, great guys. Uh, just to wrap up here, I think I'm going to ask you, I ask this to a lot of our guests, um, for you two, if you had any advice to your best piece of advice to, uh, aspiring filmmakers looking to get on the scene or looking to make their first film, uh, what would you say? It's something we say constantly to ourselves as well. It's just keep making shit. Like, uh, the one thing we, the, the one mistake that I think we did, but then looking back, I don't think it was a mistake because I think we needed to hone our writing. We still were working. Yeah, we were still working our butts off. Um, is We stopped making things for that six-year period. Um, and I think we could have been making things and writing, but we did get a ton of writing done. We have a, we, we have a few scripts that are, that, that are pretty good right now that we're excited about doing. But just keep making stuff. Like The more you make, the better you get, and the more people will want to work with you because the one thing that I know the people that we work with you know, as they look back at us and say, oh, hey, you know, like I'm saying, like, uh, maybe actors or producers or directors or even, you know, cameramen like Johnny, uh, who were, who, who decided, oh yeah, I want to work with these guys. I'm excited to work with these guys. The main reason was they would say is, um, I just kept seeing you guys just kept making better and better shit. Like I was Mm -hmm. like, oh man, like, these guys get it. You keep making stuff, you get better. And then pretty soon people start getting excited about working with you because the material you're pop, popping out like is exciting. Mm, yeah. I mean, we have a pretty relentless pursuit for perfe- of perfection. Uh, we'll never get there. Yeah, we'll never get there, but you just, <laughs> you, you just gotta <laughs> go as far as you can. Um, one thing I think is really important and it's something that we all, I think struggle with as creatives is that fear. Yeah. And you have to be fearless in the, in the approach and you have to do material that scares you. And that's going to be the most interesting stuff. That's going to be your breakthrough stuff. You have to be willing to go out Take and Jesus. know that there's a chance you're going to fall on your face. Never accept it. Never, never allow it to happen. Continue to work on the material. But that's, if it scares you, that's when you need to go out and do it. Cool. And how about for DPs? 
shoot, shoot, shoot. I can't say it enough. I mean, when I was in film school, I, I shot every single project I could. And then I got out to LA and people said, what are you? And I didn't say I was an AC. I didn't say I was a focus puller. I was, I was a DP because yeah. I had the confidence to do it. And so just go out and do it. Like these guys said, it's the exact same thing. The only way you're going to get better is with practice. And and I mean, how, you learn your craft. how often do people move up the ranks? I'm sure it happens, but I mean, mainly if you come out and you say you're a first AC, you're kind of stuck as a first AC for quite a while. For right? a while. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's just working your way up that chain and there's nothing wrong with doing it that way. That's great. You're on set. You get to watch big DPs work and there's something to be said for that, to be on a set and watch a Roger Deakins or somebody like that work. I mean, that's, that's a huge advantage right there. But there's also something to be said, I think, about going out like you did and working all the way through your 20s and 30s, you know, spending the last 15 years as the, the big dog on top of the camera. Like, I think that's I think that's really important. And again, I mean, it's two, I th- two different paths. I, I don't think, think one comes, is wrong. Sure. But I think it comes down to you being just fearless and saying, fuck it. I am the DP. I don't care if I'm 23 years old. <laughs> That's the truth. I'm going to take that. I like that one. Better. <laughs> All right. Composers, uh, get to know as many filmmakers as you can. And, um, I guess if yours is shoot, 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 mine would be right, right, right. Um, uh, you know, I think, um, just, you know, writing something every day, even if it's not great, you know, it's just a good habit to kind of get into. Um, and, uh, 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 I, yeah, I really do think it's finding people to collaborate with. I think that's one of the things that I, you know, really love, about getting to write music for for film is that you're not, you know, sort of stuck in a vacuum and nothing is like springing forth just from your forehead. That's yeah. like pure brilliant. It's like the it's about the conversation between people and ending up in a spot that you wouldn't have ended up if had you done it yourself. Um, and loving that sort of process. And so finding people you get along with, finding people you know that like the same movies you do, and also for filmmakers for finding composers. Like that's also a really good way to do it is, you know, find people who have similar taste to you and you like working with. And, um, um, and then, uh, yeah. And then I just, have one question for you, Chris, how yeah, is she, it? Cause you come from like a band background first, right? Didn't you join? Yeah. You well, bands it's like, yeah, I was like, in, I was in bands. I, you know, I actually started in classical guitar. Um, so like I was a how, classical musician and then, okay. Yeah. How important is it? Do you think to have that kind of sort of band element to you? Because honestly, like most of the guys that were, that were composers coming to us, I think we're like literally straight focused on composing and did not have a band element to them. And I felt for this movie in particular, I'm not saying it's for every movie, but for this movie in particular, I think your sort of band background like helped a shitload for us and for the film. Well, and as a collaborator, I I feel like that mentality, like the the group, like we all succeed as a group. Yeah. That's, that's like the the ideal person for us. Yeah. And we watched Chris work, you know, uh, with us and with, uh, his team as he was putting the compositions together. And I mean, it's not unlike Johnny working with his camera crew, you know, it was very similar. It's just like, Chris is just a great guy. The people, the great people are love to work with. His engineer's amazing. Michael's incredible. Yeah. Michael Patterson. Yeah. Um, and even I, I'm, I don't know all the names of your guys uh, that we met, but yeah. I, they were all fantastic at their job. You're, you're uh, the guy that was uh, uh, writing the music. Which one? Well, writing the music? Which the bigger guy? That was me. No, no. But I mean, <laughs> what's amazing is Ian's like twirling his fingers around, and like yeah. I, you can't see this, but, but it's really guy, funny. I'm like, well, was, I don't know what instrument you're playing right now. Guy, that was you writing the music. Oh, the, I'm, the, I'm, copyist, I'm, yeah. the copyist. Yeah, the yeah, copyist. Yeah, 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 yeah. The guy who's copying your music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like um, he was fantastic. Amazing. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I think part of it is you know just me. From I do that all the way across the process, not just you know like working sort of uh, up to the filmmakers, but then you know the people that um, um, that you know. I work with that helped me kind of finish the music because the writing's only one part of the process. You've got like orchestration, you've got 
you know, um, uh, you have all the amazing musicians who play on it and then you have somebody come in and mix it. And so there's a, there's actually like a long line of people after me that have to take the music and kind of, we all work together. To- but it was also really fun to see you, the dynamic, the working dynamic, because, uh, when the copyist came in, you're like, okay, this, these are his strengths. Yep. I'm going to use these strengths. Yeah. You're like, okay, now we're working with, I can't remember, maybe it was brass or something. Be like, oh, he's conducting the brass right now because he's, he's, he's has this That's super his skill. Yeah, yeah. His background, his skill. He's doing the brass. I want him to do the brass and then I'm going to yeah. do the strings. And then I, you know what yep. I mean? It was like, yeah. and then Michael's going to handle the, the, whatever. It was just very, you knew everybody's strengths. Yeah. It was very optimal. <laughs> you were like, this one's going to be doing this. I'm going to be doing that. And you were very collaborative and you're like making sure everybody's strengths were being ex- accessed to make the best product, which yeah, I thought was you. amazing. Thank you. You weren't just sitting at the top of the hill saying, fuck you, do what I say. You know what I mean? Like, this is what you do. You were like, no, this well, you just didn't see this. that part. <laughs> uh, I think, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, I think the big thing for me is like that. I, I think, you know, the band versus the orchestral thing, because you've got this incredible discipline that's sort of been passed down through hundreds of years through with, with the orchestra and, and learning that can take a lifetime. And, um, but I started early with, I, I kind of started with electric guitar and then I moved to classical guitar and which is sort of the opposite. I, um, was like a metal head first was really into everybody from like Pantera to Fugazi. You know, like I was very schizophrenic in my music taste. And I think it is this sort of split personality that, that ended up being perfect for film because I was like really in love with orchestral music. And then would you know um and then i would be like listening to in on the kill taker over and over and over and over again you know and like so it was and now all of a sudden those two things get to come together so it's uh yeah i don't know it's just uh it's a good thing of just like listening to your own compass you know and just don't worry if you you feel weird (laughs) (laughs) it's like who's ever gonna want these two musical things next to each other (laughs) i think like not worrying about or kind of embracing that weirdness is a a big part of every aspect of filmmaking too. And it sounds a lot like, you know, you're doing your job as your directors are doing their job. Um, very well, I might add. So thanks guys. It's been great. Thank you, John. Thanks Thanks, John for being such great guests. Yeah. And, uh, congrats on the film. Thanks man. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for Indie Film Weekly this Thursday. And as always, we ask you to subscribe if you haven't already. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes if that's how you uh, listen to your podcasts. I'm John Fusco. You can follow me at Jim underscore John underscore Jim on Twitter. Or you can follow No Film School at No Film School. That's it. Pretty simple. Take it easy. <laughs>